As Jim prepares to read the gospel this morning, notice the question that Jesus asks of this young sister for the end of the reading. But even now I know that God will give you <clears throat> excuse me, whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Holy wisdom, holy word. And now as we hear the words from Acts, again, remember why we are here today and see if you might find a message in the midst of this scripture. Now as Peter went here and there among all the believers, he came down also to the saints living in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple whose name was Tabitha, which in Greek is Dorcas. She was devoted to good works and acts of charity. At that time she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in a room upstairs. Since Lida was near Joppa, the disciples who heard that Peter was there sent two men to him with the request, Please come to us without delay. So Peter got up and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the room upstairs. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter put all of them outside, and then he knelt down and prayed. He turned to the body and said, Tabitha, get up. Then she opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her. Then calling the saints and widows, he showed her to be alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This is God's word. So I ask you the same question this morning. Do you believe it? It is an amazingly powerful thing that Jesus says when he talks about resurrection. My fear in ministry anymore is that it has come, become such a focus about resurrection of the dead rather than maybe even resurrection of the living. Or what might resurrection look like, particularly on a Sunday like this one, where we light these candles and remember. And as I said to Nicholas, maybe there is resurrection when these names and these voices and these faces and these lives continue to live in our hearts and we become the next phase of that living legacy. 
And maybe that's what it meant that that Dorcas was raised even. So my question to you again this morning is, do you believe it? The name of Dr. Edgar Helms probably doesn't mean much to anyone sitting in this sanctuary. But I want to tell you his story because it is related to not only my father's but mine. Dr. Edgar Helms was a pastor in Boston and and would travel almost every day. And it was in a time where if you ever saw the movie Gangs of New York, this terribly difficult movie about what was going on in New York City, particularly during a time of massive immigration. And people were being killed or were starving and hungry, and particularly it was a time of, of just incredible need for children. And Dr. Helms was walked from his home to the church where he served and literally have to walk around or step over sometimes the children who had lost their lives out of hunger. And there came a point where he decided he just couldn't do it anymore. And so he went to the women of the church, and again, he served a church that was fairly wealthy in comparison to so many other places around Boston. And within that wealth, he went to the women of the church and he said, what if, because I'm tired of walking across or around or over these who are starving to death, what if what we did was establish a midweek Sunday school or Wednesday school where not only we invited these children in, but we would feed them? And there were those among the women that grumbled and said, we would let these into this church? And yet, over time, they became convinced. You couldn't help but notice what was going on. And so that first Wednesday, there were 15 children gathered there. And then the next Wednesday, there were 30 or 35. And then the next Wednesday, there were 40 or 50. But along with the children on that next Wednesday, there were adults, women and men who had come hoping, hoping to just find food in the midst of this time. And Dr. Helms then, the church became overwhelmed with the numbers which continued to grow week after week after week. And he began then to turn to some of the more wealthy parishioners and say to them, are there things that you have in your home that you're no longer using that you could bring in? Do you have food or do you have clothing that you no longer wear that you could bring in to this place? And what we want to do is we want to engage these people and teach them not only how to speak English, no matter their language, some of them are craftspersons from their own countries. And might we be able to redo some of these clothes with the seamstresses or even teach some of these women how to sew? Or maybe we could rebuild some of this furniture and put some of these to work to teach them a skill. And what happened was overwhelming. I mean, it was overwhelming. And suddenly the church could no longer hold it. And so they found an old warehouse in Boston where they would gather these things and the poor of the community would come in and not only be fed, but be helped in ways that would, what's the old adage? Give a man a fish and eats for a day. Teach him to fish and he will eat for a lifetime. Helms had a vision of what this could do. And it was immense 
And the need was answered over and over and over as things in Boston, partially because of this, began to shift. What happened in the midst of that then was as this grew, they decided they had to make it a more formal kind of organization. And they began to explore names, and the names just kept coming and coming, and finally it came down to we need to call this Industries of Goodwill. And then they needed somebody to help run the operation. And there was this young man who was called to ministry, but not necessarily to the pulpit, but to maybe ministry among the poor, and whose wife had an amazing gift of speech. And so Chauncey Beeman became the first president of the new Goodwill Industries. And it was an amazing legacy, but you would never have heard that name. You would never have heard the name of Edgar Helms if it wasn't for this, because it wasn't about being Helms Industry of Goodwill or Beeman Industry of Goodwill. It was about goodwill and the call of God to reach out to those who were poor. And yet every single time, Every single time I walk into a goodwill, I think of that legacy. I think of my grandfather. And then it wasn't about a name. It was about goodwill. But in this sermon, I kept wondering, what if Edgar Helms just kept doing what so many did in that time of just stepping around and stepping over the children and pretending they weren't there? Or what if the women of the church didn't catch the vision and decided, no, we can't do this because the church isn't about that. The church is about us. Or what if Chauncey Beeman didn't step up and say, I have some organizational skills that can continue to move this forward. And yes, as a matter of fact, I will move from Boston to wherever we need to go with this. What if he had said no? I mean, they lived in a beautiful home. Why would he leave it? And more importantly, I keep thinking, what if the Apostle Peter had decided that he didn't want to be the rock and that fishing was just good enough? Or what if Saul, who became Paul, decided that he could make more money just by being a Roman spy and try and squelch this new movement called People of the Way that became Christianity? And I can go down the list. What if Martin Luther decided that everything was just hunky-dory and it was just too hard to nail these theses on the door of the Wittenberg Cathedral and suddenly the Reformation begins? What if he just decided enough is enough? I'll just go and be a quiet kind of monk. Or what if John Wesley decided that 4 o'clock was too early? And that praying throughout the day was just an, uh, not something that wasn't necessary. But, but here's the other deal, friends. Next year, next year, we celebrate our 50th anniversary in this church. What if 50 years ago, that small group, some of whom are here this morning, decided that this was too obscure a place 
this kind of country road called Newport Way. And that this piece of property just wasn't really right for a church because it had this creek flowing through the middle, which means that, you know, we can't really build the way we want to build. Let's just give up. Or what if there came a point where the church said, we don't want to have a preschool here and decided that it wasn't worth it and that these 165 children and their families would just have to find someplace else? What if? What if? And to a great extent, I think that's what this morning is all about. Now we become the next step in that living legacy. These candles represent names. More importantly, they, re- they represent lives who have influenced, influenced us and, and, and have guided us on our road of life. And as we read them, it does not matter whether they were Chauncey or Edgar and influenced hundreds of thousands. What if, what if the influence of one is enough? Whether it's someone who is now housed at Andrews Glen or fed at Sophia's Way or at Crossroads. Or that family that now has a home with Together We Build. We are the next step in the living legacy. I said in my article in the GPS that is sent out by the web, we stand on the shoulders of giants. What I don't want you to think is that a giant is someone like Billy Graham, although he is a giant, or even Andrew Carnegie. There are giants among us. Here, now, this morning. But the question remains then, how will we be remembered? When, when we come to that point in life where our names are on this list, what will be the thoughts about each one of us? What will the, the legacy be? And where I don't want you to be confused this morning is it is not about a 100,000 people. It is about each one of us making a difference in the lives of even one. Whether it be a young mother named Ashley who longs for the child still in her womb to have a place to grow in health. Or whether it's someone else that we don't even know yet. The deeper question then is also, what will be the legacy in the next 50 years of Aldersgate United Methodist Church? And what happens in this basket will be part of what dictates that. The gifts that we bring today or in the coming weeks and even months where we decide that it is important for us to be contributors, not only with our lives, but with our financial means. That will dictate what we do and the legacy that we leave. So I ask again, as we prepare for this time, that we remember the lives, remember the lives that have been so influential in ours. 
But don't stop there. Dream. Notice. Decide that now it's our turn. It's our turn. And we become the shoulders upon which the next generation will stand.